welcome to Holding the Fort Abroad, the podcast for expats with traveling partners. My name is Rhoda Bangeta. I'm a certified coach and the author of the book, Holding the Fort Abroad. In this podcast, I interview men and women who live abroad and have traveling partners so that we can all benefit from their wisdom and experience. I also invite relationship experts to apply their expertise to this topic. Today, my guest is Matthias Dorave. For many years, Matthias worked as sales director for well-known worldwide insurance companies and was also an author of children's books. I'm delighted to be speaking with him today about his new venture as first ombudsman for international children. Matthias, welcome to the show. Hi, Rhoda. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I'm excited to hear your perspective. So what is an ombudsman? For international children, what do you do? <laughs> Good question. Um, That's where we start, right? I'm curious. There you go. Um, before I ask the, uh, answer that question, I'll take a little step back. So if you look at the data um, that the UN provides on you know, international migration, there's sort of like an, one data point which says there's 40 million children who grow up outside of the country they were born in. We actually believe, so we're talking about, you know, refugee kids, expat kids, children from, you know, military embassies and so on. We actually believe that number to be much higher uh, if you also include the children that are staying at home, actually, whilst their parents are traveling across the world as a frequent business traveler or for work or any, anything else. So when I was thinking about it a number of years ago, and also based on the fact that I noticed that um, from my work experience with international health carriers, there wasn't anyone really dedicated towards the well-being of children in the context of international migration. While I saw around me all sorts of challenges and, you know, getting used to a new culture and, you know, a language, new friends, missing your family and so on. So there wasn't really a representative out there caring for that group of children. And I know 40 million sounds like a big number. But at the same time, I thought like, you know, if you don't think big, you know, where are we then going in terms of our, you know, our visions and our, you know, sometimes it's good to have a bold vision, right? Um, so going back to sort of the representative and the 40 million, that's actually where the ombudsman came from, um, you know, representative for this group of children, um, as I felt that it was you know, the current narrative about children in the context of international migration, I think there's a whole taboo there. Um, I think we should talk much more about it. And I think we can do much more to help these children uh, thrive, basically. Um, you know, their life is usually going in, in sort of warp drive. Uh, when it comes to migration, they usually experience in, in one or two years what an, a, a normal child would experience in perhaps a, a space of 20 years. So it was time to stand up and to do something more for these children and have their voices heard. And that's sort of, if that makes sense, the, um, the Ombudsman for International Children. That's a good observation, actually, that these kids probably live like in a few years. They just have huge life experiences <laughs> that they have to process, you know, huge change. But you focus on companies, right? Big organizations, helping them. Yeah, so me and my co-founder, our experience sit primarily with uh, the international corporate environment. So we worked a lot with global mobility teams, as they are called. So that's sort of where we started. But at the same time, we also felt like organizations can take much more responsibility when it comes to uh, taking care of these children. I had a lot of conversations about the reasons why assignments fail prematurely. And may mainly the, the top reasons are usually, you know, stress 
and adjustment challenges with the family and more specifically children. So it makes complete sense for an organization to do more in that space. So yes, I think um, we are focusing on international uh, organizations, um, especially where we feel that we can explain why they also benefit when they extend their care to those children. And at the right. same time, looking much further than that. So uh, talking to other organizations, I think we identified over 30 groups of international children. We were like, wow, this is such a, a huge space where we can make an impact. But it's also good as a startup to focus in the beginning uh, rather than to being at too many places at once and not making any impact for children. For sure. My hunch also, what I suspect is part of why families also struggle when they're settling abroad is that one of the partners is traveling. But there's no numbers for that. There's no statistics on how much people travel once they've moved abroad. So I, I saw once a table and it was like, it was for American business travelers and it had, you know, the number of people who traveled. It was over a couple of companies and it had like two, three weeks a year, six weeks a year, all living in another country in expatriation. But there was no numbers to say how much that person traveled once they went in expatriation. So that I would love to start seeing statistics in surveys of how much do people actually travel once they're in an, uh, an assignment abroad. And this is something that you know a lot about because you traveled a lot, right? And I also... This is why I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to get your perspective as someone who has traveled a lot as a husband and a dad. Yeah, no, absolutely. A lot of thoughts here. I think for me as a, as a father, um, I really was excited to be traveling more for work. Um, I think that everyone does it. You know, you see, you get to see a lot of the world. You get to see and meet new people. Initially, my children were quite young young when I started, um, which was sort of fine because they weren't really aware of the fact that I was gone for a number of days. But as they grew all older, I, I started to notice like, hey, this is impacting them. They're actually, uh, you know, I saw a bit of anxiety issues in terms of, hey, dad is not at home. What happens if someone breaks into our house? My younger son was actually crying a lot when I left uh, and actually usually needed a couple of days to really land back on his feet again. And, and I think one of the most embarrassing moments I had, that was sort of in a year where I probably had more than 40 business trips in one year, basically. Wow. Yes. Pretty much once a week. Yes, correct. And, and this was even within Europe. So it, it wasn't even like intercontinental, but then still, even if you just travel to you know the next country, it has an impact. And I remember one of the most embarrassing moments. And I remember because... At first, I was laughing about it because my wife told me a story. She, my, my daughter was still young. She was like five and so went to school. And there were a couple of parents who never saw me. And then I think it was around November, December time. So well into the school year, I finally found some time to bring her to school myself. And then a couple of parents went to my wife the week after when I was traveling again. And they said to her, oh, we didn't know Lulu had a father. <laughs> so, Ouch. Well, there you go. That was my initial. Well, that wasn't my initial response. Because I was laughing about it first, like, oh, that's cool, you know. But later on, I was like, this is completely wrong. This is not the type of father I want to be. And I'm laughing about it, but that's more because of the craziness of the situation, right? But going back to your question and, and my experience, I, I think one of the pitfalls is that you sort of go into it well-intentioned also towards your family. But before you know it, you're in this sort of system where everybody does it. Your colleagues do it. Some of the colleagues I work with 
They even did the same thing, but then on an intercontinental basis. So through different time zones and so on, also with families at home. So it sort of becomes normal. Yeah, it becomes normal. You can't, if you feel like you can say no, you can't really say no through a trip, right? It's just part of your work. And yep. your wife, did she think it was unusual? It was just, how, how did you guys live it? Well, I, I think we were both lucky in a way because my wife and I met each other when we were 15 and 16. She was 15, I was 16. So we're already together for more than 25 years. So I think in a way that helped because we completely understood each other, mm -hmm. but also knew that we never sort of experienced this amount of travel. And I, I think initially it was really good because, because we understood each other very well. It also gave sort of the support system at home, but also for me comfort to be traveling that much but at yeah. the same time the structure of our relationship was also in a way it also came back as a boomerang because we were sort of holding on on a system that wasn't really working for both of us because she had sort of she, she really needed me in a number of situations and I was sort of helping her out as much as I could by working and by providing as a father and as a husband so I think the strength of our relationship was also in a way if you know what I mean, sort of negative, because it also actually kept in place the system because we were working really hard to sort of satisfy each other, if, the, if that makes sense. So I see what I mean, but then you, you must have realized, wait, there's something missing here. So I, I know you wrote a little while ago in, in LinkedIn, you posted that um, you had a ha-ha moment. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, it, it was sort of, I think I called it an airplane epiphany. Um, and it really was, I can still vividly remember it, that I, I was sitting in an airplane for, I'm not sure what, how many times it was that year. And I can actually remember, I was already always sending my wife texts. We, we sort of had a rhythm and a sort of a, a ritual about uh, saying goodbye and, and also a message to my kids before I, I left. I would leave literally uh, in the air. And then I sort of looked around me and all of a sudden became so aware of my surrounding and sort of became a spectator of my own feelings. Yeah. Honestly, like there's something off here, like you just explained. Is this right, what I'm doing here? How would all of the other people around me, would they be dealing with it? Or am I the only one actually dealing with these sorts of challenges about, is it good that I'm leaving my wife and my family behind this many times? Um, is there anything I could do differently? Or do I just need to stop doing this? And all those sorts of things um, came into my mind. And, and especially in my heart, I, I honestly felt it. And as a, as a children's book author, um, I was always amazed by these huge international companies and seeing all of these opportunities to do better for children in, in this context of, of migration. And that's sort of where it came in, like, I should do something about this, right? I, I sort of seen the experience. I've lived the experience myself. What would happen if I would add imagination to that process and actually come up with a solution to help parents, but also organizations to help make an impact for these children and make it easier for them because we can't stop business travel. And that's also not what I'm preaching for. Uh, but I think we can make it easier for everyone involved and, and create an environment, you know, in which children can thrive. That's honestly what I, what I believe. Yeah. And so you developed a book, right? The, a, 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 you're developing a trip kit. I love the word, a trip kit. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, to keep parents and, and kids connected, right? It works for moms and dads who are traveling. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's it's finalized. It's, it's, a, it's a book. And it basically keeps families connected. Um, so everyone that stays at home and the frequent business traveler, even though they're not um, physically together. So it's a book in which there's all sorts of actions. Uh, it's, it's actually sort of a lockbook in which they can record everything before, during and after the, um, the trip. 
Um, and we also have a, a partnership with a printing company. So there's a little pocket printer in there as well. And so you can put all sorts of photos in there. It, it almost becomes like a, a memory in which you sort of record everything whilst you're apart. So I missed a couple of things, you know, parties. I missed a couple of practices for sports from my children. How cool would it be if there's a tool available where you can actually know, okay, even though I'm going to travel uh, and I'm being, you know, apart from my family, there's still a couple of actions that I need to do towards my, my family and vice versa. And I, I think one of the things and the questions that I got a lot from my children were like, you know, really simple questions. When will you be leaving? For how long will you be gone? When will you return? Who will be joining you? In which hotel will you be staying? And I, I noticed that once I would tell that to them, they would be more relaxed. There would be still a little bit like anxiety, but at the same time, there would be a bit more mindful and, and there would be a bit more peace of mind, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. All of those elements that I've experienced as a parent traveling quite often, I've added all of those items into the book so that you can stay connected and also answer those really critical questions towards your children uh, so that they're a little bit more at ease. Mm -hmm. So there's space to put in which hotel you're staying at. There's there's space for you to put information in and then the space for them to what, what kind of activities are there like coloring or a space for photos or act, like games? What, what, what kind of? Actually, all of the elements you've just mentioned is sort of an activity book. Um, but there's also elements like there's also an educational element in there so that children can actually uh, learn more about the country that you're traveling to uh, so that they can also investigate themselves. Okay, what is the national flag? Can I draw it in there? Um, what kind of food do people eat there? So they also get to learn a lot of things. Um, and there's also what I find really cool. We've also developed the first frequent flyer program for stay-at-home kids. So once okay. parents start to travel... Usually it's it's the parent that get all of the you know the the perks of of being out there many times and we've developed something um, and that's a bit difficult to explain on the podcast but it's really cool like once the parents travel they also get a reward system which is included in the activity book so it actually allows for the parent and the child to once they come back after the business trip. Uh, that's where the reward sits and that's usually on quality time with the child. Very low key, not like big promises but we've sort of created a number of rewards in there for children to you know to, to spend some quality time with their traveling parent and it's a, it also in a game form um so it's basically we go from bronze to the highest which is usually platinum in the in the travel world our highest level that a child can achieve is the unicorn level and that's sort of how we do a lot of engagement before during and after business travel wow so it's like when are you leaving because when you're going on your next trip, because <laughs> i need platinum well, well, there is this sort of like uh you know going back to what we just discussed there is also sort of you could view it like that but it's yeah i think the positive definitely far yeah. the, the negative. So, so basically, you're telling me you believe there can be a connection between the per person traveling, the parent traveling and the child. Yeah. And, and I honestly also think that the organization also has a responsibility there because, you know, ultimately it's the organization that sends out people on, for travel. Um, and even though your family, I think I think there's still this sort of traditional mindset, which makes complete sense, right, uh, about Parents are responsible for their children. So if you decide to take on this job and if you decide then that you have to travel for this job, then it's your responsibility to take care of your children. But actually, you know, an organization can also be part of the conversation, can be part of the ecosystem 
in order to create a little bit more safe space for children. I think it would be awesome if I would get from the employee I work for, if they would have a tool like that, you know, that I know, okay, my employer is actually taking care and is looking after the safety and the well-being of my stay-at-home kid. I mean, how cool would that feel, right? If, if you know that your employer, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a trip kit, but just something so you know, hey, I can make this, I can put my feelings or what I think about this or my challenges on the table. And I don't think this discussion is happening at the moment. Yeah, well, maybe listeners who are with organizations can tell their organizations, hey, there's this super resource that can be you that can be uh, procured or bought by the organization, right? Because it's mostly available to organizations yeah. that they can then provide it to their employees as, as a, a benefit, really, so that they can use it for their relationship with their child when they're gone. I think it's a brilliant, brilliant idea. Brilliant idea. So obviously there was no trip kit when you were traveling. How did you stay connected with your with your kids? Did you, you said you texted them? Did you know what was going on at home? Did your wife kind of tell you what was going on? Yeah, no, absolutely. So my wife and I probably called every day, probably more than that, because travel in itself for a parent can also be quite stressful and challenging. So what we've done, and actually this part has also come back in the trip kit, is we bought a journal for all three of our children. And this journal would be something we would write in on a daily basis, like, okay, what are you doing today? Uh, first steps, but also things like uh, you made a really funny joke. That, that sort of thing was also included in the journal. And what we would do before I would leave, I would absolutely leave a message in all three of those journals for the kids. Like, hey, I'm leaving. This is when I come home. Uh, I will miss you. It, it was quite general, but it sort of felt like, hey, I'll see you in three days and you'll be fine. And, and I think in that way, when I, also when I was gone, my wife would put everything in there in terms of the journal, journaling. And that would also allow me when I come back, you know, came back sort of to look at the journal. Oh, this happened, that happened. Even though you missed it personally, you would still could you could still read it. So I think that was sort of the main source of connection between my wife and myself towards our children. But at the same time, um, yeah, probably we called two or three times a day. Okay, okay. So it was so each child had a journal that they could write in or do picture in, and you could write in, and your wife could write in to like recollect a story or something that. No, actually, it would be a journal that. My wife and I only would write in. Oh. They could actually read it. Um, so we, we would just record their their milestones, basically, okay. almost on a daily basis. Yeah, because one of the things that um, that came up when I was talking to families and even in our own experience was that it's, it, this was the first advice we were given by a family, actually by two separate families who gave us the same advice, was to be careful for when the parent comes back in. And so the bo that we have two boys and the boys and I would have like our little in-jokes and we would have like our little, you know, routine that had been set up or something that happened that we referred to. And my husband would be like, oh, what, what happened? So it's, I think it's really important to kind of keep the traveling parent up to date. How you do that, you know, is depending on the availability of, of the parent and the family and maybe the age of the kids and stuff. But this idea of a journal is a great, 
great idea because then it keeps track as well. Did you find like it was helpful when you came back? Oh, absolutely. And, and, and in all fairness, my wife and I also had our challenges, right? So at some point she also would develop her own rhythm in terms of, you know, with the children and when they go to bed and then I would come home with presents and then it was completely broken again. So that was quite an interesting context as well. But yeah, I think the journal, to your point, it was a great idea and, and it still is a great idea. And they, they sort of love it and we would also put pictures into it. I think a lot of what we've done then is also, you know, parts of it have also transferred to the trip kit actually as an idea just to make it a bit easier for everyone. Yeah, I think it's the idea of being emotionally present and physically absent because there are also parents who can be emotionally absent but physically yeah. present you know it's it's i think it's it's possible and this makes it possible did you speak to your kids on the phone when you were gone yeah every day I would think. they stay on the phone what would you do like how old were they when you were traveling a lot and like would they actually like did you have any any tips or tricks for parents to keep the kid on the on the screen i usually never really had an issue with keeping them on the screen i think uh, in the beginning, when it was sort of still new, new uh, with me being away from home a lot, they could stay very easily on the screen and we would have, you know, great conversations. But at some point, it also moved a little bit more into like, okay, every time that they are talking to you, it also is becoming a bit more difficult for them because they sort of want to make sure you're at home rather than on the other side of the world. So I think it sort of gradually went to a place where... We also told it a little bit more and just be completely open about it, a bit more wide lie. So, oh, daddy is like at home very late and has to leave in the morning very early again. So you won't see him for a couple of days, those sorts of things. So I think in the beginning, yes, we did a lot with FaceTime and, and that sort of things. And later on, it it gradually, we decided to do it a bit less because it actually triggered them missing me, basically. So I think that was sort of the the balance between the two. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, what would you say to a dad that's about to start traveling a lot or who's traveling a lot? What would what would you say to him? I, I think every context is different, right? So just bearing that in mind, because it, it absolutely depends if you've got very young children or, or older children who are much more aware of the fact that you're gone for a number of days. I think what I would do is primarily in a way my wife and I did this but I think it would be good in very positive circumstances so before you start to travel to make really good agreements between you and your partner and actually write them down on a one pager put your signature be behind it or or anything you just need even do if you do a fingerprint on, in paint and and put it on there almost like a pledge towards each other because I think once you've done that from the outset in positive circumstances, it's much more easier to keep oversight if it's becoming really challenging. So I think that would be would definitely be something I would do next time. Uh, even though my wife and I had agreements, but they they became very volatile as we went along. So my responsibilities then changed. So I got increased responsibilities. So all of a sudden I had to travel to another country multiple times. And before I knew it, I was sort of swamped within everything. And my wife was saying, you're traveling too much. Can't you do this virtually? And I'm like, no, 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 I have to do this. So, you know, you're already sort of sucked into it. So I would absolutely say that make good agreements between you and each other about where you don't want this to end and where, what is acceptable and what is sort of the position where you 
would both feel comfortable with. And even if that means like, if it becomes too much, could be an agreement, right? Then we'll take a break from frequent business travel for two weeks or so. Something like that, right? So that it sort of gives you the boundaries in which you, in which you're comfortable with and not comfortable with. That's Yes. So not like big ones, like, okay, you, you stop, you stop traveling for six months because that's not going to be possible. But okay. saying if you're traveling like every week for six or seven, eight weeks in a row, take a two week break and actually be home, something like that. Yeah. Because I think it happens without you noticing and time passes and the years gone by. There you go. And, and I, I think it could be something as simple like, okay, if one of us is feeling uncomfortable with it, then we should discuss this. As an example, right? That's already a really tiny thing, but then, you know, we are going to sit down in that same week and talk an hour about how we can do it better. Simple. Uh, it's a really tiny thing, but it will make a huge impact because it always allows you, because once you're sucked in, your mindset will be completely different. But if you then can take that piece of paper that you've both signed and sort of your promise towards each other, your pledge towards each other, you can actually say, hey, actually one of us is uncomfortable. Oh, we agreed that we would then do a meeting together or like a formal meeting about how we're going to solve this. Um, and you can yeah. do all sorts of things included in that. My husband and I actually take minutes when we have meetings because um, because we're like, <laughs> it makes by the end, you know, after a week, I'm like, wait, well, what did we say we were going to do again? <laughs> so I'm like, Let's take minutes. So I'm like, okay, so we decide this and we're going to do this and you're going to do that and I'm going to do this. And because otherwise I can't keep track and he's much better at remembering stuff than I am, but I'm just like, no, I saw we take yeah, minutes. It doesn't have to be that specific. No, no. Something very simple. Like, you know, if, if you run into something, we take a step back, we're not going to argue um, and we'll take a step back and, you know, we observe it and then we'll, we'll be followed by creativity to come up with a solution. That, that's already like a, a, a point of consciousness, which will help you in, in, in managing business travel better as a family. And, and it was my first time I dove right into it. You know, you want to perform, you know, you want to sh show you're the best person for the role and that they've made the right decision. Um, hence also why I think organizations can play a role in this, but also towards your family. I think it, it's sort of great to have that sort of peace of paper lying there knowing that you can always always have a sort of a fallback option or say like in six months we review like how things are going and if you need extra help or if something needs to change or if that's great i wanted to come back to why you think this topic isn't talked about a lot because certainly i did not realize for 16 years my husband traveled i didn't even realize i mean i knew he was traveling a lot it didn't occur to me to think oh that's kind of unusual or Oh, I wonder if anybody else is traveling a lot. I was just living it. Why do you think it needs to take an epiphany? I think it's um, a couple of things here. I think first of all, and that's also the pursuit of us as the, the Ombudsman for International Children is to remove ignorance in the context of international migration. So I think ignorance comes in many forms. So it's not the most negative form where someone is saying, oh, I actually know this is challenging, but I'm not going to do anything about it, right? That's not what I mean. I think there's also lots of families and organizations out there who really want to make a difference, but simply don't always know how to make a difference or what is available to make a difference. So I think sort of ignorance as a whole on this topic is an issue. So that's also what we do about, you know, getting our stories on LinkedIn and other places is to really rewrite the narrative about what impact 
it has business travel on children, right? Um, because people love stories. And once you start to tell a different story, and once it's sort of validated by people that work for larger organizations and they experience the same emotions and stress that the family also experiences at home, then all of a sudden you're changing the narrative and people are like, okay, story is one, but actually this person is validating it. So there must be something going on there. And I think that also ties very nicely into the second point. I think we need to be more open about this. It feels very much like something we cannot talk about, like mental health. We've seen the world open up, you know, professional athletes and so on, talking much more about this topic. And I believe that, you know, telling my own story to everyone mm. is was in the beginning quite difficult and, and quite confronting. Uh, but once you start doing it, you see start all sorts of changes around you. And you're like, wow, it's actually quite normal to, to talk about this. So I think those, those sort of two, you know, ignorance and actually just getting the conversation started about this are, I think, the main reasons why at the moment we are not doing anything and, and we're not talking about this topic. So you started talking about, hey, um, I had an epiphany in a plane about how much travel I did. For example, but actually starting Expat Valley was for me the main reason to, to make a difference and to be open about my experience and how I experienced international travel myself and how I saw other families struggling. I spoke a lot with parents and children in the last 12 years and saw the huge challenges that they had, but no one was really paying attention because it felt like, oh, they, they're going to this new place and they're going to an international school or, you know, your father travels all across the world. That's so cool. So but actually by me just starting with an organization that is caring for their needs and for their voices and really representing them, I think that that's for, for was for me sort of the biggest step to, to show that I care about this and to show that I really want to change something here uh, and to really want to make an impact. So that's not for everyone. I, I'm not saying everyone needs to quit their job and do more in this space. But I think just by acknowledging that this is a problem and actually also feeling the comfort just to talk about this with your employer, saying, hey, this is actually quite challenging. There was a, um, a survey back in 2000 from the World Bank Group on business travel. And out of that survey came that the, the stress that is experienced by the frequent business traveler themselves is mirrored in the family. It's not low hanging fruit anymore. It's ground laying fruit. And, and sometimes if things lie on the ground, we tend not to see it. We look over it. I, I think everyone has its own rhythm and its own pace. But for me, it's such a logical thing to do. But in all fairness, it also took me a number of years to come to this point and to just be, you know, completely open and transparent about it and 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 just to tell your story. Yes. And I mean, I've started with um, supporting the home-based parent, but I want to hear more of the stories of the traveling parent and what it's like from your perspective and I've spoken to my husband about it asking him you know how it is and I'm hoping maybe to get him on the podcast and you know what it was like for him but I think this is important because like you say it validates and maybe the the parent who's traveling is going oh you know it's all fine it's all fine uh, I shouldn't be thinking about these things everybody else is doing it I have to keep up with everybody else whereas actually if everybody's thinking the same thing and going wait this amount of travel is crazy maybe there's a different way of doing this maybe change will start happening like you're right organizations also need to be hearing what traveling parents and what dads and moms and husbands and wives what it's like for them right because for, for, from our perspective 
as the home-based parent, we're like, well, they've got it great. They're in a hotel. Wait, hang on. Even before getting to the hotel, they get the whole flight by themselves with no young child sort of pulling on their sleeve to go to the bathroom. Then they get full night's sleep on the other side. Plus they're calling us from before going out to the restaurant. And then they come back and then they're like, oh, wait, you haven't, you know, oh, haven't you sorted that admin thing out? I'm like, no. So it's also important for us to hear from your perspective and say, hey, you know what? I'm actually thinking about you guys. I'm worried about this, this and that. Uh, I want to be present. I want my kid to have a father. And I want to know what's going on in their lives. That's right, right? Traveling parents don't just go off and think, oh. There are many who actually <laughs> miss their families, right? Yeah, going back to my airplane epiphany, I think that's actually it. I think a lot of people look on their phones and I think a lot of people, I got some responses on, on that post as well of, of like, okay, this is very recognizable. I've done the same thing. So it isn't just me, but I think what this needs is a systemic change. So this is new, new, as I call it. So it's not something that will happen overnight. Uh, but I hope, you know, with my story and with, with the impact that we're making today and creating more awareness, I think it, it becomes much more of a, a logical thing, the right thing to do. I think that's even more like it because um, this is common sense, right? And I think what is happening at the moment is that we've so adjusted to the way of doing this that it has become a habit. And one of the most difficult things to, you know, to break through are habits, right? If you have sort of a habit you know, good luck with, with changing it. That takes time and a lot of awareness and education. And I think that's what we're doing at the moment to really, on a systemic level, make that change so that people start to view this differently. And that also means employers start to look differently at frequent business travelers, that it's not a, a benefit. It is a benefit in many ways, but that there's also a bigger picture with a lot of challenges also at home. And I think in a way, Corona, you know, the whole COVID thing has helped because all of a sudden, you know, your children walk in the back of your screen while you're on a, on a, on a, on a call with 10 other people. So that has become much more normal. So I think that that's a good, you know, a good thing out of a bad thing. But at the same time, I do think this, this, this will need and require some time to, to convince everyone and not even convinced, but just to show that everyone will benefit if we look after each other. Yeah, so it can be on two levels, the relationship between the traveling parent and the children at home or their spouse at home, but also corporations, organizations realizing, wait, we're asking some crazy stuff in terms of travel amount. And maybe there's a different way of doing this where we can also be aware that of what we're asking is that like you don't ask your staff to run a marathon every week. So why are you asking them to run a travel marathon over all the continents and come back and then be fresh and go back to work on the same day, you know? So maybe there's some awareness there. So I'm so glad we had this conversation. Thank you so, so much for sharing your side of it and also what you're working on. Um, and I'll put your links in the show notes. Where can people find you? Yeah, the easiest way is just on, um, um, so we post regular stories on, uh, on LinkedIn. So if you go to Expat Valley, um, then, uh, then you should be absolutely fine. And we also have a website, expatvalley.com, where you can find more information. And, you know, if people, uh, you know, by listening on this podcast have any other ideas or, you know, want to share their feelings or anything that we can do for them, uh, you know, always feel free to, uh, to reach out to me or my colleagues. 
always very happy uh, happy to help. One last question. I might put you on the spot, but I always ask uh, the person I'm interviewing if they have a favorite resource, either parenting or life resource or something. Do you have anything off the top of your head, like a book or something that you found really helpful, really inspiring in your life? Yeah, there's one thing. And I, I think I, I used a lot of elements of that while building an impact company. Uh, it's, a, it's a documentary, actually. And it's called The Biggest Little Farm. Uh, and it's about a whole new way of farming. And, and you're probably surprised how I was talking about farming. But what they're actually doing is they're building an ecosystem in a way going back to where everyone benefits. So, you know, no pesticides and those sort of things. But if there's an issue, they're looking for the most natural way to solve that issue again. And I think there's lots of lessons in there for building your own organization if you want to make an impact, but also just generally in life. You know, at Expert Valley, we're building the world's happiest e ecosystem for international children. That's sort of our, our vision that we, we foresee. And that documentary has helped me tremendously in sort of getting things more sharper, you know, how you can look at the whole system and not just children, because parents are involved, organizations are involved, and not, not only your sponsoring organizations, but you're also talking about various providers, you're like your your RMC company or your travel company, uh, experts, education. So there's this whole system of people and organizations that can make an impact for these children. And I think a lot of that sort of the way they are farming mirrored a lot in towards um, using that for, for Expert Valley. So I would definitely watch that documentary. There's I think it came out today, part two or the return. Uh, so I will probably watch this after after we're, we've done. I think you can watch it on Netflix or Disney or anything. Uh, they're both there. So, so a person could look at it and go, okay, hey, I'm in an ecosystem. Yeah. What's impacting my ecosystem? What's damaging it? How can I build it in a certain way for everything to work? I think that's a beautiful metaphor, really. Yeah, and, and I, I think if I can say one other thing, there's this company called Patagonia, the, the, the outdoor clothing brand although they are doing much more than just clothing. But they were one of the first companies that created a, an on-site childcare program back in the 80s for their employees. And the founder of Patagonia, uh, Yvonne Chouinard, probably said one of the nicest things I've ever seen. But he said, the children that come out of our childcare center are Patagonia's best product. And the way they did it was very much in also in an ecosystem thinking like, hey, we've got parents, we have us as an organization, we have the world that we want to make an impact in. How can we make sure that everyone is the best version of themselves in order for them to thrive? And one of their key insights was like, you know, if, if parents are struggling with their children at home, they can't be the best versions of themselves. So you literally see those children sitting in meetings um, where it has become completely normal to include them as part of that ecosystem. And it works. It absolutely works. Not only in terms of bottom line, like the financial business case, it works. But also in terms of retention, uh, loyalty towards your employer, making sure people are productive, but mostly it creates a sense of community. And I think that's sort of part of, of, our, of our ecosystem as Expert Valley, and also what comes back in the biggest little farm is that, you know, if you really embrace that sense of community and everyone feels part of something and you're producing something together, but no one is losing, but everyone is winning actually. So going back to everyone benefits when we extend our care towards each other, I think that's sort of the ideal situation that you want to create. And that's what we pursue at Expert Valley, but you can apply those lessons 
to many places, also your personal life or any other ambitions you might have. Um, so I think those two sort of Patagonia as an organization, but primarily their on-site childcare program. And then the biggest little farm have probably helped me most as my resource in terms of, um, you know, what helped me most. Brilliant. I think it's fabulous that children of traveling parents are included in international children. Yes. Because they might not be living abroad or traveling, but they have the other side of the coin. And I think that's that's beautiful. They're all international children. Ultimately, this is about, you know, they're also impacted. I, I took stuff from all over the world to my children. So they know much more about certain countries probably than a child that doesn't have a traveling parent. So I think they're also impacted by it. But ultimately, these are all the children that are impacted in migration. And it could either be they're going along on, on the journey, but it could also be very much be impacted by the global mobile lifestyle of one of their parents. Um, and I think that's also a big part of it as sort of a final point from myself. By seeing them as one group, we tend to look at it in silos. So, oh, you have refugee children, you've got expat children, you've got embassy children and so on. And stay-at-home children. But we tend to look at them in separate groups. But there's also similarities and commonalities between those children. That's why we call them international children. Because their sense of belonging and the place they call, call home in each and every situation is impacted by migration. So we tend to look at what is the commonality between them and how can we help them as one group. Going back to the 40 million of the beginning of our conversation. Rather than, okay, oh, this needs a completely different approach. Because that's not the case. But unfortunately... In terms of international children, there's not a government or a body that looks after them. And we very much like to be that, you know, that body or that, 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 that organization that looks after them. So I think that's sort of where they between, sometimes fall between a, a, a rock and a hard place. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for telling your story. Thank you for everything that you do for international children. Thanks, Rhoda, for having me. 